0: Welcome to The Hourglass, the Power of 10 podcast. My name's Amber, and I hope you learn alongside me as I summarize weekly podcasts in 10 minutes, covering business, tech, finance, and psychology from some of the most intelligent people around. Today, we will be summarizing last week's episode of The All In podcast with Chamath, Jason, Sachs, and Friedberg, also known as the besties. These four best friends have become masters in their respective domains, Together, they discuss important topics covering economics, tech, politics, and science. What makes them unique is their ability to speak truthfully, joke around, and make it really easy for the listener to follow along. On episode 111 of The All In, the Besties discussed a San Francisco owner who was caught spraying a homeless woman, Microsoft's $10 billion investment in OpenAI, which is the creator of ChatGPT, more on that later the AI hype and the future of AI, and lastly, the implications of overclassification of documents in the White House. The Power of Ten starts now. The first topic the besties discuss is the San Francisco business owner who was caught spraying a homeless woman who was posted outside of his local art gallery. So the full situation, before anything as described by Saxon Jason, the owner had called the police five times on the homeless woman who was never relocated and the police never followed up. The store owner started losing foot traffic and customers, so it really did affect his small business. The store owner then decided to hose the homeless woman in the face to get her to move. It's a horrible situation that wasn't handled in a humane way. That being said, we normally like to look at only one side of the story. So I'm challenging you to think not about that owner's wrongdoing in that instance, but to think of the greater picture. Here's view. I agree that it's not good to hose a human being down. On the other hand, think about the sense of frustration that store owner has because he's watching his business go in the toilet because he's got... Homeless people living in front of him, so they're both like being mistreated. The the homeless person is being mistreated. The store owner is being mistreated by the city of San Francisco. Same, that, the store that owner. person's not in a privileged position. That the person probably the store owner. The store owner, he's probably fighting to stay in business. I'm All just right. saying. I'm not saying that's right. But now, ask yourself: if you were stuck in this same situation, relying on a small business for income for you and your family without the help of police, what would you do? On that note, it's also important to look at the bigger picture in San Francisco. With regards to small businesses, Sachs explains how in the city, around a quarter to a third of the stores are vacant. Chamath adds on by explaining how 90% of those small businesses that exist don't actually make it. Jason explains how one solution could be to close their stores entirely. But then the outcome is that you lose the feeling of community and not all people can actually just go off to school or bring a business online. Here's a very powerful quote by Chamath to explain the full issue. In the absence of things like local stores and small businesses, you hollow out communities. You have these random detached places where you kind of live, and then you sit in your house, which becomes a prison while you order food from an app every day. I don't think that is the society that people want. So I don't know, I kind of want small businesses to exist. And I think that the homeless person should be taken care of, but the small business person should have the best chance of trying to be successful because it's hard enough as it is. So although the group highlights this particular situation of a man hosing a homeless person, the major issue is greater than one instance. In their perspectives, the issue also has to do with the term that's used. It's not necessarily homelessness, but addiction and mental health issues. The solution isn't necessarily a lack of housing, but of adequate treatment. So what does that really mean? Freeberg believes that success could be through four methods that are mandated and available in abundance. Mandated rehab, mental health services, the third, jail, lastly, housing services. Sachs believes that the solution could be to build high complexes with treatment built-in so that the effects can be scaled. The next topic that the besties discuss is Microsoft's $10 billion investment in OpenAI. So as an outline, in 2019, Microsoft invested a billion in OpenAI's ChatGPT. That little AI tool that you might have heard of, where you can actually have a real conversation with an AI bot who can give you personalized responses to nearly every question you ask it. This year, they're purchasing 49% of OpenAI for $10 billion and giving their Microsoft Azure cloud costs free. Just for reference, before it cost around a billion dollars a year for the cloud. Microsoft will earn 75% of all of its profits until they are reimbursed their $10 billion investment. Chamath explains how there's a lot of complexities for turning a nonprofit to a for-profit, which would be the case with OpenAI. The other issue is with the deal construction. And lastly, the original investors who could be asking for things as part of the contract. Interestingly, it seems as though OpenAI's original philosophies about the construction of the business have changed. Started as a nonprofit with the philosophy that the tech is far too powerful for only one company to own it alone. So their idea was to make it open source. But it flipped in the last year. In 2019, Elon Musk, Reid Hoffman, Peter Thiel, and YC funded the original OpenAI. In essence, OpenAI has turned to a profit seeking model instead of open sourced. Now let's move on to talk about the hype that's happening around AI and the major players that we could see booming in the next few years. Sachs explains how there is a lot of hype around OpenAI, and the last time this happened was really with the iPhone. Past examples of hypes are mobile, cloud which turned out to be real, socials which there were some real big players but not all succeeded, and lastly crypto, VR, and Web3 which turned out to be a flunk. So his guess is that it's going to be real on a technical level, but not necessarily with VC just yet. The issue they point out is, will it only be the big players who hold all the data that benefit and no new startups that emerge? For example, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft, to name a few. Friedberg believes that biotech investing and in AI will be huge. He sees the real change happening by these ML and data sets furthering information and forwarding progress in places people simply can't. When it comes to the big players, Chamath's prediction is the following. Google will have to open source all of their models because the most important thing for them is to reinforce the value of their search. Facebook would have to decide to stop investing in AR and VR and reallocate it all to AI. And lastly, this will force Microsoft to really speed and catch up. Now, if all three big companies have the same models, it really comes down to the quality of the data and what he calls the reinforcement learning pipeline. What this means is the data that comes from human feedback and the system's unique outputs. For example, Facebook, Microsoft with Minecraft, Twitter, and Gmail all have a really strong reinforcement learning with their clicks, likes, sharing, and user data. What a successful startup could do is create a reinforcement learning pipeline, start collecting this unique data, plug it into the models that exist from Microsoft, Google, or other, and make money off of it. Arguably the most interesting stuff they talk about have to do with the questions around AI and how it will look in the future. Here's a quote by Friedberg that talks about the real existential question of AI. It is the most striking question about this whole thing, about what's going on in AI, and it's one that Elon's talked about publicly and others have kind of sat on one side or the other, which is that AI offers a glimpse into one of the biggest and most kind of existential threats to humanity. And the question we're all going to be tackling and the battle that's going to be happening politically and regulatory-wise, and perhaps even between nations in the years to come, is who owns the AI, who owns the models, what can they do with it, and what are we legally going to be allowed to do with it? Jason had insider access to a future ChatGPT app. So think of it as your own personal Google search, if you will. What you can do is ask ChatGPT questions and it will provide your chat history. Chamath explains an excellent example of a feedback pipeline. If you ask what restaurants are the best in your city, And if ChatGPT has access to your GPS, when you go to restaurant A over restaurant B, it will feed right back into the system and let ChatGPT know what people in your city prefer. It could also prompt you with a rating so that it can improve upon the ranking from OpenSearch. Right now, ChatGPT is not allowed to use links, but in the future, it could give links to these restaurants and even make reservations for you. This also brings up another issue though, which has to do with content regulation. Let's say ChatGPT scrapes a bunch of Yelp reviews to give its best recommendations. Could Yelp claim they're losing money from sponsors and even ad revenue? What are your thoughts? In order for VC to start getting involved with investments, there are a few other challenges, such as how are we going to build a new economic model on top of these new AI systems? Friedberg explains how data is changing the business models altogether. For the last 50 to 60 years, software has been all about the storage and information retrieval. You ask, the info is found, and you receive it. All of the infrastructure is built for this ask and get model of information. But with AI, they use synthesis of the same data that resolves the object of your ask and makes it unique to the individual. Basically, the core of computing is moving from a retrieval to a synthesis. What that means is the novelty of the data and the uniqueness is the advantage. The last topic that the besties discuss is about Biden and the overclassification of documents in the White House. Now, if you haven't heard this through the news already, classified docs were found in Biden's garage. But there are some bigger questions that Sachs asks. Why were the docs moved twice? What are the documents? And why did he take them in the first place? He explains how three of the major house representatives in the past have been found stealing classified documents, Hillary Clinton, Trump, and Biden. The biggest question is, are we over-classifying these documents? The Freedom of Information Act or FOIA might be ready for a revamp. We never actually declassify the documents. For example, the JFK assassination. There are still a few records that have not been revealed yet. One solution that they highlighted is that we could automatically declassify after five years or go through a process of revision. Obviously, some should stay secret, as they very clearly explain. But what are your thoughts on this? Thanks for listening to The Hourglass. I hope these 10 minutes were interesting and helped you learn something new please like subscribe and share my podcast with others. And if you're curious, go listen to the full podcast episode I covered using the link in the description. I am always open to feedback. So please don't be shy to reach out to give me some points, suggestions, or other to make the hourglass better. See you soon.